Hey everybody, welcome to Origin Story, where we discuss the lives and careers of underrepresented groups and professional fields. Uh, disclaimer, this chat represents our views and not those of our employers or affiliated organizations. Today, I have Jesse Meza with me, someone who I've had a close relationship with first professionally and then personally. During a time like COVID era, it's more important than ever for young people from disadvantaged backgrounds to be able to gain a foothold it's not easy. Jesse has overcome a lot of challenges to get where he's at today. But this isn't just about us. This is for you guys. So uh, if you're finding yourself in a similar situation, needing help with school or finances, we're seeking to provide you some advice here from our learned experiences. And we'll have a Q&A at the end for that as well. Um, and you'll see little bits and pieces throughout the conversation. So I'd like to start by reading through a recent letter of recommendation I wrote for Jesse, and this will give you some context into our relationship as well. Um, this is for a fellowship program, and um, you know this is just uh, one of many awards scholarships that uh, Jesse has pursued and uh, you know gotten uh, later on. Um, so um, I'm going to jump into that. Uh, here's an excerpt. Jesse and I met in 2016 through 212 NYC, New York's Interactive Advertising Club, a nonprofit organization for advertising professionals. I'd been working with the mentorship committee, and by fate or coincidence, uh, I was assigned Jesse as my mentee. As with all the relationships, it took a bit to get moving, and once it did, Jesse and I were able to connect on so many things. I'd had a background on the ad agency side, so uh, could relate to Jesse experiencing long work hours while trying to voraciously learn and uh, about digital media and professional life. Uh, we mutually shared coming from a modest background and working our way up, albeit through different paths. That strengthened our professional relationship and friendship. Uh, my mother worked for various advocacy organizations such as Easter Seals, Head Start and United Migrant Opportunity Services in Milwaukee. Well, first-generation families similar to Jesse's were in the set that she aided, I was also a Pell Grant recipient who attended school on scholarships. So it meant something very personable, personal to me, excuse me, uh, to be able to uplift another young person after uh, I benefited from the help of others. Uh, suffice to say, in Jesse's case, it's not easy to be working, preparing for school, and trying to financially support his mother and her health while on the other side of the country. So uh, with that, that gives you a little bit of introduction into uh, you know, our relationship. Um, with, I'd like to pass it over to Jesse uh, here to uh, speak a little bit to his story and uh, you know, this could be a very organic conversation, uh, front to back. Um, and you know, you learn a lot about Jesse himself and how he got to be where he is right now. And uh, you know, again, we're, we're focusing on applied uh, learning here as well. So you know, if you find yourself in a similar situation, we'd love to hear about it, especially when we get towards the Q and A. So Jesse, thank you, thank you. Um, that's a hell of an introduction, and. Uh, Thank you. I'm just so glad to be here and I'm so glad to be able to share this space with you. I think um, we're going to get into some uncomfortable spaces today and we're going to get into a few stories that I've gone through in my life 
And I think a big part of why I wanted to share these stories, especially publicly, is because a big part of these stories where you're going through challenges, especially as a first generation person, you often end up feeling like you're being victimized by the system or by the place in which you are born into. And I really wanted to do this because I want to change that story. I want to change that story that's so often told to me and that sometimes I tell myself. And I want to change that to a narrative that I've faced certain challenges, I've gone through certain things, and they have helped me become who I am today. And I'm very grateful for who I am. They have helped develop me. And that's really why I wanted to do this with you because I want to share that space and I want to share that learnings with whomever decides to join us or watch this video in the future. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, I hope it's a fun conversation and I hope we all get to learn some fun stuff. So let's do it. Great. Uh, so the first uh, part I want to talk about here is your background and you know we've gotten a good amount of conversations in on this in the past but you know there's a lot here that I'm just hearing for the first time as well so um, you uh, had included a little bit here about your mom and uh, you know a bit of the background there uh, what the, what is that story like yeah no I'd love to get into it um, so I guess whenever whenever I introduce myself, I always, if there's a time to do so, I always like to talk about my mom a little bit because my story is so interconnected with hers. So my mom was born in Monterrey, Nuevo León. She was raised in Mexico and she came to the U.S. in the early 80s. Uh, she came over here with her siblings on a visitor's visa. She might have overstayed her visitor's visa a little bit. <laughs> and my older brother was born in 87. I was born in 92. And my mom did absolutely everything she could for us. Uh, she raised us as best as she could. And her siblings and her friends, like they, they really helped her, like bringing me and my brother up. But as I got older, one of the things I definitely started to realize is there was a lot of small ways in which my mom was kind of shunned from the immigrant community because she did have two sons with two different men. She wasn't married to either one. And so, um, give a little bit more context. I think when I was growing up, we we had a lot of struggles, and one of the big ones was poverty. Um, I remember when I think back now, I probably didn't realize how much poverty we were really facing, but it was it was definitely in the background. I remember like when I was in kindergarten, that every winter, I thought it was a fun activity. I thought me and my mom, my brother, were all hanging out in the same room. But we would all hang out in the same room and we would all sleep together in the same bed. And the reason we did this every winter is because we never had a heater for a good number of years. So we would all sleep together and we would use all of our blankets together. And I remember growing up just, I used to get lost in so many thrift stores. We spent so many countless hours in thrift stores looking for things. And I just had a lot of fun in them. But now that I look back, I realize why that was happening, why we were in that place in the first place. And I think one of the memories that really sticks out in my mind is, I remember seeing um, one of my friends who lived next door, he, would, uh, he was eating cereal with water. He was eating a bowl of cereal with water in it on the porch. And I asked my mom, like, why don't, why don't they have tacos like us? And she said two things that really stood out to me. She said, one, they don't make tacos at home, and two, they don't have milk. And that was when I discovered, oh shit, they're, they're black and they have a different culture. And I also discovered there's a lot of people who are lacking a lot of things that they need. Now, I didn't understand poverty, but I, I know as I got older and I saw more inequities in my community and around the people that were around me, it built a lot of empathy and compassion. I think we all have really basic human needs and I think we should all have the accessibility to be able to meet them. Yeah, those are all really good points there too. And, um, you know, it's it's like, 
it, we, you find yourself in a given situation, and I think you highlight something important there in that, you know, the, the rung of the ladder that you may find yourself on, it might, it might feel at a certain place, um, you know, but you, there, there's always somebody who might be in a worse situation than you. And that's uh, something always, I think, to highlight. And, you know, I, I think I've, I've seen the breadth of that, you know, we both have being in New York, um, you know, I, I moved to New York from the Midwest and, um, you know, it, it was a hugely shocking experience for, I, I think anybody, you know, it's a culture shock uh, that way, you're moving to a different community and whatnot. Um, but especially, you know, when you're looking at something like that, like, you know, I, my, my family regularly received food stamps and Medicare and stuff like that. Well, I was going to school and we were growing up and then, you know, maybe like the environment we get into a place like New York where, you know, there might be so much money and, you know, there's varying levels of that uh, throughout the country, but there's always somebody that needs help um, that more than you and, and you know it's important to highlight that too so uh you know that's definitely seems like something to mitigate um and to humble yourself to um and I, I think that i've tried to do that more often in my professional life and you know you've done a lot of work with that recently as well and um you know i speak to some more of it in that letter of recommendation big brothers big sisters uh programs like that and i think that's so important um and it's so important to be vulnerable and to humble yourself as a professional 100 so moving on to the next section here um imposter syndrome and we were touching that on a little bit um in the last section um but you know there's there's this this term gets brought up a, a lot i think uh now professionally um but it isn't necessarily always applied and um you get into a little bit of how do you adjust to that as you might be uh rising in more exclusive circles as you get out of school as you become a professional as you know the hierarchies and the opportunities eventually narrow um you know some might disagree with that there's there's other things you can do as you get older and whatnot but um you know there there are different circles that you get introduced to throughout your career and your life so what was that experience like for you i think um i think the moment i stepped out of my zip code to go anywhere besides mexico was definitely a culture shock um but i guess to speak more specifically about imposter syndrome i think I, it's the way I go about managing the level of my imposter syndrome has changed over my life as I've gotten new experiences because I don't I don't think it ever completely goes away but you just learn how to deal with it better over time um, so when I was younger kind of like when I first entered the industry I feel like I post a lot and it really made me feel like an outsider so what I do now at my current age um, is I really use communication as a bridge. So I won't lie, I do code switch a bit, especially when I meet new people. And as we start to get more comfortable with each other, then I start to bring more of my personal like background, more of my personality with cultural references, mannerisms, so that they can start to get comfortable with the level of diversity that I represent. And I guess to be more specific, uh, the way I currently overcome imposter syndrome when I enter new circles is really through everything. Um, I remind myself that 
whoever I'm talking to is a human being just like me and they're flawed, just like me. And if they haven't learned to communicate with people outside their social circles, then they're probably living more stereotypes than whatever ones they're judging me by. So what I think in the back of my mind is, well, let me step out of my comfort zone and help this person understand that they can find value in relationships with people different from them. So I feel like I overcome imposter syndrome with compassion and empathy. I think the compassion and empathy part is so important to that. And, you know, it's hard when you feel like you're put in a position of, you know, essentially being on the defensive. Um, and as mentioned in the last section, I definitely felt a good bit of that, um, you know, coming from the background I did as well. And, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, you're, you're put in a position of, yes, humbling yourself to that, but you also might have to find ways to get other people to humble themselves to you. Um, and I think um, as, as much as we might not want to, um, you know, encourage things like code switching, there's some ways that, you know, it benefits you, like you mentioned there, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a deeper conversation as to how you bridge the gap. Um, and maybe we can get a little bit into that in the Q&A. Um, but um, yeah, just in terms of, um, you know, mannerisms, um, you know, how your culture might different, differ from when you're coming into a new environment. Um, there's a movie and book, which uh, many people on the chat have probably heard about uh, called Hillbilly Elegy. And it definitely, you know, is a very different kind of story, but it also deals with uh, a lot of uh, economic struggles and, you know, kind of puts that in the spotlight and I think there's there's a bit of that that you know people across the country uh, go through to many extents um, and there's a scene in the movie this isn't too much of a spoiler you know uh, I, I recommend still watching the movie um, but you know political perspective aside um, the the background on it is uh, it's a true story of a young guy who grew up in small town Kentucky and Ohio and he's struggling through uh, poverty with addiction all around him, you know, not himself, but others, um, to eventually become a lawyer at Yale, which is, you know, I mean, when you talk about rags to riches stories, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, and talks about how he was able to get where he got, regardless of the background that he came from. And there's a particular scene uh, where he's at Yale and he attends this fancy dinner with all of these lawyers and law firms around and he's completely uncomfortable and when a waiter asks him about red or white wine which is a question you get a lot in new york especially when you're at uh you know happy hours and things like that um he doesn't know and he asks for a white and the waiter says chardonnay or pinot grigio and he's just kind of like i don't know you know, and, and there's just there's, there's that kind of stuff that can sometimes become a difficulty. But I think if you if you stick to it and you, um, you know, confront those things over time and, you know, you you eventually do kind of blend into that and you find ways to, to also uh, raise your, your level of voice within that environment, too, as you get more acclimated to it. So the next section here. Um, you mentioned that your future success is not limited by your past failures. And this is an interesting scenario to get to as well. Uh, 
again, you know, when you talk about professional vulnerability, this is something big to offer. And, um, you know, I'm impressed that, you know, you're willing to talk about this kind of stuff too, but I also think it's important. And, um, you know, I go by a phrase too, uh, business is always personal. You might hear the opposite, but you know, like when you build connections with people, it's a connection business aside. Uh, so, um, you know, what was your experience like with that and how does it relate back to that phrase? Yeah, no, 100%, I think. Um, uh, so the first story I really wanted to share here is kind of a, it was a pivotal moment in my life when I was younger and I think it really helped shape my personal perspective and it really helped me build um, eventually who I wanted to be as a professional. Um, so story number one, uh, when I was 17, I was having a little bit of trouble deciding like, who is it that I want to be? Uh, my friends weren't too interested in school and I really wasn't either. My brother at this point, my older brother had been in and out of jail a few times now and I was yeah, kind of still dealing with that or figuring that out. And everyone around me kind of seemed to be ending up in the same similar kind of negative outcomes. So one day when I was walking home from summer school, there was, this, uh, there was a drunk driver and he was just swerving around the street and he actually swerved right by me. And it shook me a little bit because he, he swerved very close to me. And he just kept swerving down the street and eventually about half a block down the street, the guy just parks halfway into the ditch. He kind of just crashed into the ditch and he stumbles out of the car and this guy just reeks of alcohol and he stares at me as he's walking away from the car and he like halfway stumbles away and he just continues walking down the street and he's just car in there with the keys in and the ignition in and the doors are open wow. and just throw up in the in the passenger seat and i remember looking in first thing i thought was i i've dealt with alcoholism in my life and I don't necessarily want this person to lose their entire vehicle. So the first thing I did was I, I took the keys out the ignition and I just dropped them in the car. Second thing I did, because I was 17 years old and I was a pretty heavy smoker at that point, I saw a pack of cigarettes and I took the cigarettes. So I took about 10 steps away from the car and three cop cars surrounded me. And in an instant, I realized exactly what had just happened. Um, one of the cop cars put on the loudspeaker and they're like, you can slowly start to approach our vehicle. So the drunk guy in the car were all set up and it was a bait operation uh, ran by the Houston Police Department. Oh, wow. So as soon as they took me down to booking and they started processing me in city jail, I felt like my world just kept getting smaller and smaller. And I was thinking about my friends, my family, my mom, and I just felt like I failed everyone. And I really felt like I hadn't really taken the thought to figure out who I was and I just conformed to what I was seeing. It made me feel like a living, breathing statistic, to be honest. And to be honest, it really pissed me off. <laughs> and right. It made me feel like, like there's something else that I want to do with my life. And I don't know what that something else was, but I was ready to do everything I could do within my power to make a new life. So when I started my senior year in high school later that year, I asked everyone I could for help with college application essays, financial essay, figuring out schools, learning what GPA stood for, because I had no idea what the hell that thing stood for. And there was just so many people that helped me. And I think one of the lines I ended up writing my application essay to University of Texas was, um, I refuse to be a product of my environment when I can make my environment a product of my actions. And that's how I decided to start living my life. And that's why I really wanted the viewers to 
here today to know and take away from this story is that whatever your future endeavors are, whatever your goals are, your success is never limited by your past failures. Because I feel like we often get dragged down by our mistakes or when relationships end or companies don't promote us or even hire us. And that's often the first thought I hear from a lot of people when they start considering future goals or like, what are we gonna do in 2021? The first thing we use, a lot of people start to think about is the last thing that they failed. And if I kept thinking about my future in terms of my arrest, in terms of the system setting me up, in terms of being an outsider in this society, I would have never dreamed bigger than that lifestyle. So what I really wanted to take away from this story to be is whatever your mistakes are or your challenges have been, I promise 2021 is a new year and you can build a new you, however it is you want your new you to look like because there's new opportunities out there and we don't have to keep reliving our past. Sure. And, you know, obviously this could be a loaded subject too, um, but, uh, you know, like, I, I think you raise a good point there and, you know, there's, there's a lot of it that you have to uh, mentally put behind you um, but at the same time, you know, there's there's a systemic thing there as well, where, um, you know, you you want to, where you can build advocacy and, and have other voices that, um, you know, you can lean on that way. Um, and so, you know, like there's, I, I, like I grew up in Milwaukee under, like it, during the time when uh, David Clark's uh, police department was running the city, and that was that was real interesting, and um, you know, there's there's just ways that uh, it seems you have to push back. You know, I, I have friends that um, basically became victims to that too, and you know, it sounds like um, for what you're mentioning there, you know, it was almost kind of set up like a trap, um, and uh, you know, that kind of speaks to itself. Uh, but I think when you come into the professional world, and there's things that happen in your environment that you know might show up on a background check or your resume or whatnot like having voices within the company to advocate for you I think goes a huge way and I think you've already exemplified some of that with um, you know the diversity committees that you've helped found and um, things of that nature and I think you know myself I've tried to seek similar advocacy that way is you know, if you find somebody that shares your story, latch on to them, stay in touch, uh, you know, see where it goes, uh, because, you know, you're going to be working in professional life 40, 50, maybe 60 years, um, you know, and people pop up different places. And, you know, you, most of the time, people are usually willing to give you uh, a helping hand and they know that it'll be reciprocated. So, uh, next section here, um, we talk a little bit about your move into your career, and you mentioned that your community is your bridge to opportunities, um, and uh, you know basically how you got into advertising itself. And I think this is a pretty interesting story because you know there's not as many people who major in advertising. Um, you know, I happen to uh, minor in that, but. Um, you know, like there's this people that come from all sorts of different industries into it. But, um, you know, how did you get to that path and, and what's your story behind that? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, so being that uh, I'm a first generation person, uh, first generation graduate from high school, going to college, and everything that comes thereafter, 
um, one of the things that I knew when I got into college, I was like, I want to have a dope job. Like, I want to do something cool and I want to make money and take care of my family and be able to do cool things like travel the world or whatever. So originally I was thinking about finance and I realized when I was 18 years old, I realized, you know, finance, I am not ready to adapt to the mannerisms of finance. So I started looking around and I found advertising and I was like, whoa, like this is kind of quirky. This is kind of creative. I can still kind of be myself and still talk about numbers and try to build a career here. So I knew I wanted to do advertising, but as you and me both know, advertising encompasses a whole lot of jobs. And the fall of my junior year, I ended up taking media planning, um, which is the first media planning course that I'd ever taken. And I just fell in love with it. We had an amazing professor, uh, Professor Tobias at UT. She's just amazing. She really, really broke it down and she taught me the psychology and the math behind it. So by the end of that course, I knew this was what I wanted to do. I went in on the presentations and I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And this was the very first one, the one Kurt 101 course that allows you to apply to the uh, to the media planning track at UT, which is a certification, which was an amazing pipeline to a career in media planning. So I was really hyped up, I was really juiced, and I was like, I'm gonna do this. And Professor Tobias rejected me. Apparently, I really do that well in class, and I was like, oh shit. Um, so what am I supposed to do now? Right. And that was the end of my fall. That was the end of fall, my junior year. And I kind of took the winter break to just think about like what is going to happen now. So by the time I started spring my junior year, about a month later, that January, I said, um, I really decided I'm gonna start my media plan. I'm gonna start my career in media planning with or without UT. I'm gonna just make that happen however I need to make that happen. So I was part of the Texas Advertising Group, which is a student group that helps people get into the ad industry. And every spring break, they would take this trip to New York. They would take a bunch of students to New York and just tour them around different media and creative agencies so that they could start building out their networks and like you can learn what it is you need to learn to get into these places. So I was really, I was really excited. I was really hyped up. I'm like, yes, we're gonna go on this spring trip. This is my retribution. This is how I get into the industry now. And about a week out from that spring break trip to New York, the whole thing got canceled. And I was like, damn it, I really wanted to work in this. Um, it got canceled. And I remember my um, my significant other at the time, my partner at the time, she texted me right before my finance midterm at that point. And it must've been about 10 minutes before my midterm. And before I started my midterm, I replied to her and I told her, I already bought the flight. I'm, I'm going. Like I with or without the school I'm going because this is what I want to work in so I took my midterm and then the rest of the day I just skipped all my classes and I was like I'm gonna figure out how to go so I reached out to all the all the other students that have been accepted to the program I was like who else is still down to go and make this happen I reached out to them a few of them got back to me I reached out to my fraternity brothers and I was like who can let me sleep on their couch or their floor or wherever I need to sleep when I get to New York I reached out to UT alumni I was like who can introduce me to people in ad agencies and then I finally reached out to my professors whose classes I had just skipped and I was like, can you please connect me to alumni because I'm going to New York and I want to meet advertised people because I want to work in media planning. And ultimately what ended up happening is there was about four of us that went. We still went without the school and we had an amazing time. We built really great friendships and we had so much support from so many different people that we never would have expected. I told my professors about this story after we came back that spring and Professor Tobias, the one who had originally rejected me, she told me, you should reapply to the media certification program. So I did, and she finally accepted me. So I started that my senior year, and that was really my path into the ad industry, and it ended up working out. And that's how I ended up going into media planning. 
So what I really learned from this experience is your community, whatever community you invest and build in, that's really going to be the bridge to your opportunities. So I was pretty stubborn and bold and unwilling to miss out on the $200 I had dropped on that flight. <laughs> so I that was on me, but there's no way that this trip would have been successful without the help of all of these different people. So what I want, really wanted all the viewers to get to know from this story is that whatever it is you're doing or wherever you are in your life, you really should be investing in your friends and your personal and your professional network and your family because when the time comes up, these are really going to be the people that save you and that help you in whatever you're going through. So take some time, not just during the holidays and Christmas and January, just take some time regularly to check in on those relationships and invest in them. Absolutely. So now's the time, everybody. Um, we're about to head into the holiday break. Um, yeah, th that's interesting. You tell a bit of that story, too. Um, and just in general, you know, Houston being, you know, one of the larger cities in the country, uh, did you feel like you found your network there, um, you know, to be as valuable as somebody who say, went to school at, um, you know, a top tier university, Ivy Leagues, or, you know, one that's in a bigger city like New York, LA, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, how has that helped you? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I definitely have networks in different cities and different social economic circles. And, I feel like they're also valuable in different ways. Our last time I went home, well, it wasn't last time, this was a few years ago, actually. I, I went home and I was in Houston and I hit up one of my friends and I was like, yo, I need a ride. Can you pick me up from the airport and take me home? And he was like, yeah, we're going to make a stop along the way. And I said, okay, cool. And the stop along the way, we actually stopped at another friend's house who was moving from his apartment to another apartment. And we helped him move the couch. So while I just landed in Houston, we helped him move some furniture before I ever even got to my house. And then he was like, oh shit, my new apartment actually has uh, an AC built in. So he was like, I got this extra AC. And he was like, hey Jesse, you want this AC? And I was like, yes, I do. Um, because that could really help my mom because I know she had a broken AC. Now I feel like there's these different networks that help you in different ways that you don't ever really potentially plan for. But just investing in them and keeping them alive is so helpful. Like the other person you mentioned, the Yelp person, the college person, they're dope. They might give you that opportunity to the door at a company, but there's other networks outside of that that might be more helpful personally. Yeah, and it's interesting uh, you bring into the conversation that there's other networks outside of that. And, um, you know, we find ourselves in an interesting time too with COVID and whatnot. Um, what tools are you using to network right now, um, knowing that, you know, people can't really meet up in person. There's a bunch of lockdowns going into place. You might have to do it more virtually. And, um, you know, um, has stuff like that been uh, effective now that you're outside of uh, college and, you know, you might not have a alumni network there and you have to have to build that up? Yeah, I think um, it, it's been different. I think a lot of new people that I mean, especially because I'm in school right now and the MBA program is through Zoom. But as far as kind of taking a step back and investing in other networks that I'm already a part of, like friendships or family, um, it might sound funny, but I actually make more phone calls now than I've ever made in my life. Like a phone call goes such a long way. A lot of people are tired of Zoom. I'm tired of Zoom. <laughs> but it's like, just take the time to do a 10 minute phone call with somebody and it goes a long way and just check in on how they're doing. And yeah, that's, that's a great point too. And I think that uh, I, I myself have found uh, myself victim of this too. Uh, you get 
so much in this routine of uh, you know who you interface with on a daily basis during the pandemic that you know you might not be reaching out to friends that you know you've known for years and you lose touch that way just because you have to you have to take the time out of your day to make a phone call um, and uh, you know it's it's important especially you know call your call your mom call your dad during uh, Christmas uh, Annika whatnot. Um, New Year's, you know, like uh, that's something I've yet had to remind myself to do. So yeah, it's it's easy to lose track of that kind of stuff, and um, that uh, those phone calls seem to be very valuable, especially during the pandemic when you know there's so much Zoom overkill. Great. Um, so moving on to the next topic here, and I should mention that uh, for anybody who has questions so far. Uh, please feel free to ask them in the chat. Um, we'll start to preload those and um, we will definitely get to it towards the Q&A. Um, and I know uh, we've already had uh, people like Rebecca excited that we're talking about media planning. Uh, so the next topic is uh, forgiveness is freeing. And I think this one might be a little bit heavy as well, but it's important, again, like we said, you know, to, to uh, be humble and to be vulnerable as a professional. Um, so uh, riffing off of that, uh, Jesse, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, that concept, what it means to you and what the story is behind it. Yeah, no, that's a great segue, forgiveness is free. And I think this topic is actually gonna really go into what uh, Elvira asked here about self-care. Um, so yeah, this was a bit more personal, but uh, I will do my best to tell the story. So, um, as a as a first generation person who's uh, graduated from high school, graduated from my undergrad, gone on to a career and won a few things, gone on to an MBA program. Um, one of the things that I face a lot is uh, is just a huge amount of survivor's guilt, um, especially with my family and some of my friends. And what that means is. Uh, Sometimes, honestly, I, I do feel guilty, especially when I spend more time investing in myself and I'm not like helping others or giving back in one way or another. So after I graduated from UT in 2015, I moved to New York City and in 2019, I moved to LA and I thought to myself, like, I'm in a really good place in my career. I'm in a really good place in my life. Um, my brother's been struggling for a while. He's been struggling very deeply for a while, but I'm in a good place. Let me let me take some time to help him. So my brother moved in with me in uh, fall of 2019, and he lived with me for a year. And I think that was one of the hardest years that I've ever had in my life. Um, living with a family member that's an alcoholic is just a mental and emotional struggle just day after day. I think, um, the anger and the tears and the laughter and the glimpses of hope it's a never-ending roller coaster and i wasn't prepared for it and that um i never struggled with anything like that I, I don't think school was ever that hard i don't think my career was ever that hard i don't think studying was ever that hard but um what i ended up realizing was like i i couldn't help them and no matter what i did i couldn't change someone who didn't want to change and that's a hard realization, especially with a family member. So after after living together for a year, we decided that neither one of us was really doing that well living together. 
And as much as we love and care about each other, we're just uh, just two guys living two different kinds of lives. So he moved back to Houston, and he's uh, he's currently working in construction. He's still managing his he's still managing his life. And um, I guess what I really wanted to speak about was that that year that we were together. It really pushed me to a certain level of pessimism and anger and depression that I I hadn't really visited in a long time. And I'm back in therapy now, and I'm back in support groups for family members of alcoholics. And what therapy has really helped me realize is that the things that happened, the emotions that came from them, it wasn't his fault, and it's not my fault either. More specifically, what I learned in therapy is uh, forgiveness. I we went through a lot, and I went through a lot, and I forgive him. I forgive him for those long nights of dread. I forgive him for the confusion. I forgive him for all the shitty situations. I forgive him from the bottom of my heart, and that is so liberating. Um, I forgive him not because I think he's sorry. I don't actually know if he's sorry. He probably is at some level. But I forgive him more importantly because I know carrying that burden of anger and mistrust and paranoia it only harms me and it only harms the future relationship that I'm trying to build. So what I really want everyone here to know is that um, in order to really move past any trauma, you uh, you have to learn a certain level of forgiveness and that's not easy. And it doesn't come quickly. But if you're, when you're ready to move past certain things, I think forgiveness really is the path for you. Yeah, I, I really, feel that and um, I think it's it's so difficult to have family members that are in that situation because you feel like your hands are tied a little bit and that is sometimes feel powerless because you feel like they're gonna just do what they're gonna do regardless of how you intervene and you know there's there's an emotional hurt that is evolved with that and you know you you try everything you can you know to benefit that person i know in past sessions of this i've i've talked about my relationship with my father and what that means for just you know pre prelude to uh you know where you go in the future and you know if you have things like that that are you know coming into your personal life it's hard to build past it, but forgiveness is so important. And when when you look at essentially, you know, what what's where that person finds themselves maybe later on, maybe they, they mellow out a little bit, you know, as they get older, um, you, you you don't necessarily forget those things and you carry them with you. Um, but there is a degree of, of, of moving forward from it. And I think that that's not easy. And it's very admirable that um, you've done that work to, you know, rise from that and, and learn from that experience. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's really big in and of itself. And um, so bridging that topic to, you know, when you're coming out of that environment and you have all of these family disruptions, which, you know, I'm sure people are experiencing more of these during COVID with, you know, people all living in one unit or, you know, those type of situations. Um, do you feel like 
it's a burden uh, a bit um, to, you know, your your future success, or do you feel like, um, you know, you you kind of are able to put it aside a little bit? And what are some tactics you've used to deal with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, uh, one of the things I just want to touch on really quickly because you mentioned that you feel like it's a burden, and I think one of the things that I overall theme across these stories that I'm sharing today, and I'll try to sum up towards the end later, is uh, these burdens and challenges are really based on your perspective. And these, once you create your perspective on what's happening to you, you can decide what you want to do about it. But more specifically to answer your question about the tactics to take care of yourself, um, I think I really do, I, I try to create space. I think everybody should try to create space for wherever they are. And that, that can mean physical space or mental space. They can mean you go hang out in the garage, you go hang out in the car, you take longer showers, wherever it is, just find some time to breathe. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that I found when I was raised in poverty is the uh, the goal is always just get past what's in front of you. There's another bill, there's another broken car, there's another flat tire, a speeding ticket, something at school, some tests at work. I don't, I don't know. There's just always some other situation right in front of you. But what you really have to do to get past this is make room for you to breathe. And when you're ready, start to seek therapy and other forms of support groups to help you start forming a new space in your mind, a new space that gets rid of that old space and creates space for the new person, the new emotional patterns you want to build within yourself. Because when you're in an unstable home or family environment, you you mentioned this too, you, you often get stuck in that emotional state, even when you're away from it. Like you step away from it, but you're still in the back of your mind thinking like, damn, I still got to go back or you're still angry about what happened or about what someone said or you're still feeling some way. And what you really need to do is create space to process what happened and then create space to take care of yourself. And it doesn't have to always be a big thing. You can start with small indulgences and then you just build from there and you just keep building from there and you start to create positive habits. That's some really great advice too. And um, yeah, I think there's, there's, a, there's a certain anger that you can sometimes associate with uh something like that when you might look at other people um you know in in other communities or scenarios and whatnot and say you know how have i found myself here um and i can even think you know when like you you look at it in a degree of normalcy but you realize nothing's normal and like why did i have to put a, a auto title lean on my car just to pay off bills and that's something that happened to me. I'm like, it, this is my story and I'm going to own this, you know? And I think there's a certain courage that comes with, with that as well. And, you know, everything you said there. So thank you very much for, you know, everything you provide there. Um, and another organization I want to call out here. And again, we want to make this actionable for you guys um, is one that um, worked with in the past. Uh, it's called Defy Ventures. And this is going back a topic or two. Um, but um, this is an organization that I've worked with uh, where essentially you have formerly incarcerated people um, and um, they'll get together for a session as they're building a business. They're actually in the process of uh, building a business um, and becoming entrepreneurs and you'll sit down with them and uh, you know give them advice and um, you know just walk through the business plans that they've made uh, the organization um, you know helps with that but you know their their whole thing is getting outside advice um, from people that's valuable as they kind of walk that path 
um, and kind of build a new life for themselves. So uh, Defy Ventures, check it out. We might shout out some other organizations towards the end of the conversation, but I thought this was an important one to throw in there. All right, and then we maybe have just a couple topics left here. Um, and so moving on here, uh, mitigating distractions. And we talked a little bit about that. So it's good we're touching on that too. Um, how do you mitigate an unstable home and family environment? So, you know, for that topic in itself, you know, you're getting phone calls in the middle of the day from a relative or, you know, you have to jump out of school or work to handle different scenarios. Um, you know, what, what does that look like when you're you know, still pressing hard to kind of, you know, work out of the environment that you're in. Yeah, I think, um, I guess it kind of grows on the last thing that I was talking about, uh, creating that space for you. I think one of the big things for me when I try to create space for myself and my mental health is really, really heavily working out and just um, going more into working out, going more into education and just spending more time, and by education, I mean reading. I don't necessarily mean school, I just mean reading. I think many times reading is a lot more important than school. Um, just making time for the things that you like and the things that you do to just invest in yourself and your body and your mind and yourself emotionally. And just starting to do those things repeatedly. And it's it's kind of like, um, usually what ends up happening, especially when you're in an unstable home or environment, is you get used to like always being in this negative headspace you gotta try to kind of break out of that and you do that by starting to work out more often by starting off your day a certain way by ending your day a certain way and um especially when it's so busy uh like yeah the phone calls they come in the zoom calls the meetings all these things going on all this stuff in the news about covid and all these crazy just news headlines and you know every single one of them is trying to be bigger than the last one because they want to get your attention what you really have to do is just take five minutes, 10 minutes in your regular daily routine and build just a small certain period of time to invest in yourself and like reinvest and aligning your thoughts in your mind. I think that's a really good point too there. Um, and coming off of that topic as well, um, you use the phrase discipline, which I like. Um, and you know that's the first time I've heard it used, uh, but I think it really applies to this too. Um, so when you look at overcoming anxiety, depression, and you know all of the things that you know oftentimes those situational circumstances present to you, um, you know like how how do you overtake that, and how do you put it behind you, and also maybe how do you absorb it in a way that you're not just necessarily like shoving it under the carpet that's a hell of a segue that was a great way to go adam <laughs> thanks uh no uh thank you for creating this space but um i guess to speak more specifically that there is one topic that i tried to shape my my life around and that's called discipline so i shared a few stories here today but there's just so many many more and so many other things that aren't mentioned or that we are able to mention in a one hour call I think there's um, there's a lot of things that happen in our lives that can easily start to make us, any of us, like constantly start to feel anxious about certain things or constantly fall into reoccurring pits of depression or 
just other challenges. I know some things that I've struggled with personally is not always being great at opening up or being really stubborn or sometimes stereotyping people that are different from me. And I think all of these negative things, they all really start with thought patterns. So it was really easy for me, I think it, for most of us to see what our shortcomings are, but it's a little bit hard in trying to figure out like what it is you need to do in order to get past this. So this is uh, not the story. <laughs> Story time. So about six months ago, I read this book called Miracle Morning, and it really provided me with a general structure that I really needed to move past a lot of what I felt my shortcomings are. And it's really simple. You just really start to change your habits and you start to build patterns that allow you to work on your struggles while you're building your skills to get through to whatever is next. So after I read this book, what I really started to do is um I usually wake up around 5.15 every morning. Uh, with school over the last month or two, I probably pushed that back to about six in the morning. And every morning I spend about 60 to 90 minutes either working out, journaling, meditating, reading, um, doing yoga, or reviewing my life goals. And it's just this hell of an amazing feeling. Like my body's in the best shape I've ever been in. I'm in the best state of mind I've ever been in. And all it really need to do is just start to take the time to create this mental and emotional space. So usually the first thing I do when I wake up every morning is I start to build a feeling of gratitude and just think about what I'm thankful for before I step out of bed. And then the second thing that really comes into play is as soon as I turn on my computer, the first thing I see is the 20 year life plan that I have on my computer monitor because I know where it is I want to go. I definitely know where I started, but now I know where it is I'm trying to go. So I constantly do these routines and I constantly do them because I want to get more out of what I'm doing and uh, funny enough this actually reminds me of a side story so, so this is somebody else's story um, so what I refer to this as is called sharpening the saw and I don't know if everybody's heard about sharpening the saw so there's a story about a man who's cutting down a tree with a saw and he's really tired and he's getting really just exhausted from cutting the saw so someone else passes by and they're like hey you look tired and he's like yeah I'm trying to cut down this tree and they tell him maybe you should take a moment to try to sharpen the saw. Like that's a very dull saw you're trying to cut this big tree down with. And the guy says, I can't take a moment to sharpen the saw. I got to finish cutting the tree. And it's this idea of like, you need to sharpen your tools and you need to sharpen your mind to get to your goal. It's kind of like saying you're on a road trip and you don't want to stop for gas because you got to finish the road trip. Uh, you got to take the time to take a step back and then reinvest in yourself and reinvest in the tools that you're using. So the main takeaway that I've gotten from this whole process is that you really need to build routines and that creates bliss. It creates bliss through discipline. Um, so these are these little habits of time that you use to self-assess yourself and decide which patterns you really want to build into your life so that you can build your life into whatever it is you want it to become in the future. So regardless of where you are in your life or whatever phase of life you're in, the more you invest in yourself, the more you can get out of your current circumstances and be better prepared for whatever's going to come next your way. Because if there's one thing I think we all know is there's always going to be something else coming your way. There's always another problem. There's always another challenge. There's always something else. And the better prepared we are for it, the better we'll be able to overcome it. That's fantastic. And this is actually bringing to mind too, uh, in the past we've done the military veteran sessions with uh, my friends Don and Niles. And uh, there's a podcast out there uh, by this guy named Jocko Willink. Um, and he tends to uh, do uh, training sessions uh, with 
even in digital media companies and things like that. And he's an ex-Navy SEAL, so that's an unlikely place for this to be echoed. But you know, one of the phrases that he uses a lot is uh, strength through discipline and discipline is strength and things like that. And I think that you know that's a universal truth, uh, both in life and leadership um, that you have to look at. Um, and thank you, Marisol, for joining so much um, and, and also for your comments. And we're gonna have a recording um, after the video here that you'll see. Um, and we're gonna answer maybe some of your questions too um, when we get into the Q&A here. Um, but um, yeah, just to restate here, um, we're probably going to close out and go to Q and A. Um, but I think that um, you know what we worked through here. There's some really nice truths that have come out of this, and um, you know a couple of those um, is that's coming to mind. Uh, seek advocacy when and where you can get it uh, through your network. Um, you know, and you you might meet somebody uh, right now that is a connection that um, is going to be valuable years down the road and um, you know you make new connections all the time um, and that there's uh, ways that you can do that even in a digital environment uh, that are meaningful um, also uh, that you need to own your situation um, and you need to uh, look at you know the past and um, you know apply that to the future um, and that um, you know that in itself um, is uh, a, a big strength um, and then also that you know your past doesn't necessarily dictate your future um, so even though you might be in an uncomfortable environment um, to stick it out um, to be headstrong and to always be at least humble enough to uh, you know come to a middle ground where you can have your perspective, you can see other people's perspectives, but you can still know I am the person that I am, they're the person that they are, and here's where we, we can maybe connect. And um, I think that that takes a lot to overcome as well. So those were, I guess, my three big takeaways from it. Um, and then uh, towards the end here, uh, Jesse, I know uh, you maybe had a final piece of advice uh, to live a life of passion and purpose. You know, what's your take on that? Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, I think just, uh, I just wanted to add a closing statement to all these stories. And I think the uh, general theme of Boston is, um, I honestly think, I think the uh, the most important voice you're ever gonna hear in your life is the one between your ears. And you really have to spend the time to train that voice to sound like the person you wanna be, or to sound like a person who's able to live the life you want to create, whatever that is, or whatever that looks like. So my final piece of advice is really train your mind to sound like the narrative you want it to be because you are the author, editor, and publisher of your own life. Love it. Uh, so yeah, we'll break to Q&A here, and I'm going to answer uh, some questions here from the audience. Um, once to Caroline, um, what makes a good ally in your eyes? That's a great question. Um, I think there's different ways of being an ally, and there's more forefront, more more uh, more ways of being an ally. There's ways of being an ally where you're very straightforward, and there's ways of being an ally where you're a little bit more behind the scenes. So what I mean by being straightforward 
is maybe when you're in a room with someone whose voice isn't as amplified as usually, or someone who is often talked over in meetings or in certain spaces, like just jump in the meeting and say like, hey, did you want to say something? Or you want to add something to that? Or you look like you have some thoughts on this. The second way, which I mean, which is a little bit more in the background is you speak, you use your influence to speak on behalf of someone when they're not in the room or to speak to somebody higher up because you know like this person is a little bit on the younger side of this person doesn't typically look like someone who's usually in these rooms so they might not be given as much of an attention as someone like you who wants to be an ally and has more influence over higher up uh management might be able to do so i would say either way whatever you're more comfortable with um just do whatever you can wherever you can yeah that's great advice there too um, and then uh, had a shout out from uh, Jesus here. Uh, thanks for sharing, brother. Uh, what was the name of the book you mentioned? Oh, uh, Miracle Morning. Dope book, really dope book. Awesome, Miracle Morning. Um, and then you had uh, a couple other books that we talked about here. Um, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell uh, and The Alchemist by Paulo Ciolo. Um, the last two, which I've definitely read, the third, which I probably need to get into. Um, so those are good shout outs too. Uh, definitely always good to add things to the reading list. Um, and then I'll, I'll cover another question here. Um, this one is from Marisol. Uh, many of the institutions, higher education and corporations were not made for people of color. Do you see your presence in these spaces as a form of resistance and empowerment for our communities? Oh, 1,000%. Uh, shit. Um, I know one of the things that's come up a lot is all the, the protests and social unrest that we have um, going on this year throughout in our country. Now, one of the things that came up with some of my friends in the smaller circle when we were talking about this earlier this year is like, those of us who are women and people of color that are going into these rooms like day in and day out, our lives are a form of protest. Like every single time we step into these rooms and we show that we are valued and that we can bring a certain voice to these rooms and bring a certain perspective that's valued and creates dope stuff inside of these places where we haven't traditionally been accepted, we are empowering not only ourselves, we're empowering our communities, we're empowering the people who come after us and look like us. So 1,000%. Love it. Um, and then I'm going to uh, pass the mic here. So um, are there any other people here that have uh, questions um, that you might want to throw out? Um, you know, please feel free to ask them in the chat. Um, you know, I will unmute you. Um, it looks like Elvira might not still be here, but um, she'd ask the question here. Um, going back to this. How have you been able to practice self-care during this time? Yeah, um, that's that's a really good question. I think I kind of got into it a little bit towards the end with the last topic I touched on, but uh, I think self-care needs to build, be built into the lifestyle. Otherwise, it becomes kind of like um, like people that say, "Oh, I want to lose 20 pounds and get to this different weight by like summer or something." But the thing is, you shouldn't necessarily really be trying to lose 20 pounds you should have already been 20 pounds lighter and should have been at that weight and you stay at that weight um otherwise you're constantly just going back and forth of trying to improve your wrongs and it's like 
well, why not just cut the wrong out in the first place and just eat healthier, period. Like, just eat more salads or whatever. Or spend more time working out or do whatever it is you need to do. But I think self-care really needs to be something that you build into your life every single day. Otherwise, it's really easy to get caught up in things that happen in our lives. Of course, and everything in moderation. Yeah. Um, that's that's also seems to be universal truth. Uh, so uh, actually a question for me here too, and this might be useful to some people in the audience. So you're you're doing an MBA program right now, virtually. Do you do you show up on campus at all? Oh no, it's amazing. I get to I get to do this MBA program from Zoom, and I know it's not exactly the experience a lot of people want from an MBA program, but I really appreciate it. Um, at least during this first year, because I think the second year will be in person. During this first year, we're doing the MBA program completely on Zoom. And it's hella nice because I get to wake up and like I just turn on the internet and I'm in class now. Like I don't have to leave my space or I don't have to not be able to work out or not be able to build my own routines or do whatever it is I want to do. Like it just makes my time so much more flexible. So I, I really enjoy it. Love it. Yeah. And I think that we talked in the discovery session a little bit earlier about you know one, one of the big things that people are confronting during the pandemic especially you know parents kids um, is the return to school and uh, you know we'll, we'll see where that goes with the new lockdown restrictions and whatnot um, but there's been uh, these news reports of you know an outsized effect where uh, you have uh, Black and Latino communities out there uh, that are uh, affected in an outsized way uh, by the return to school, and maybe they're not getting the kind of attention um, that they would be. Um, also, you know, I've had friends that say, like, you know, my my kid is finds it hard to concentrate even at home uh, doing this kind of stuff when he's got all these things going on around him. Um, so, for something like that, do you feel like you're seeing? Uh, the effects of that and do you do you feel like you've experienced that at all doing virtual learning yeah I think the um, it's hard I, th I think yeah that's a really really hard topic like there's a lot of people who have unequal access to internet or computers or to teachers and it's this whole COVID thing is really really highlighted how different certain people's lifestyles are and how different their access to resources are and that is a very sad truth um at least for me personally it's i think it's it's been a very big challenge for my family um in texas and in mexico um they're really dealing with some inequities and some just some stuff that's really much of a result of not having access to resources for me personally i feel like living here in l.a I, I feel extremely blessed to be able to have this Wi-Fi and this internet connection. I, don't, I honestly don't have much outside of this apartment, but I do feel like I have everything I need within it. Yeah, that's something interesting to highlight too. I mean, I even have seen within my company, within advertising, I guess we, we talk less about media planning and advertising than I expected we would, but I, I think that that's uh, also meaningful and there's a reason for that. Um, but um, yeah, you know, people have issues with their internet and um, that, uh, you know, like hopefully in the future, uh, there will be some kind of subsidy um, for that type of thing, uh, you know, for kids going to school, um, 
because you know there seems to be no end in sight for this uh, but you know having those like individual resources seems to be pretty difficult um, so you know uh, on a broader kind of macro level hopefully you know there can be some sort of bill passed to get funding for that sort of stuff especially for kids that are going to public school well, I went to public school for the longest time it's just like you know you don't necessarily get the resources that you need my mother was a teacher she had to buy her own school supplies um, even when we were you know in the financial situation we were um, so that seems to be very important as well you know in, in helping to bridge that gap um, it's, it's a really interesting topic to touch on too um, great well uh, yeah I think this might be a good place to close it out looks like there might not be any Q&A but I will pause for just maybe 30 seconds for anybody else that might have something else Jeopardy timer starts now. All right, great. Well, uh, any uh, closing statement? Um, closing statement. I think this has been a really uh, challenging year. Um, and I think what I really want people to get out of some of the stories that I shared today is that you can there's a lot of years that can be really shitty and there's a lot of situations that can be really shitty, but you can always take it upon yourself to at least try to make your own experience a little bit better and try to keep working on yourself. So right. I just wish everyone a whole lot of self-care next year and every year after that. Yeah, I'm gonna do one last question as the caboose from Daniela. Who inspires you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, shit, I would say, uh, Sandra Cisneros. I love her. I love reading her books. And I love reading everything she writes. She's just a dope writer, and she helps me gain perspective. Yeah. So I think she definitely inspires me. Love it. All right. Well, thanks everybody. There'll be a recording after the session. We'll send that out to everyone, and really appreciate you all joining. Um, I think these are topics that we talked about today that really don't get discussed enough, and um, hoping to, you know cover these in a future session and maybe have Jesse on for another chat as well. Enjoy your weekend, everybody.